Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Chris and team. Hey, welcome to Ignite. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We are in a series going through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're finding ourselves today in Matthew chapter 5, going through what is called the Sermon on the Mount. If you have one of those Bibles that has all of the words of Jesus in red, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, it's like three pages of red letters. This is the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Uh, I can't hold a candle to uh, this sermon. He, Jesus was the, the greatest teacher and a great preacher, and so we have his words in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 21 uh, this morning, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. Uh, I want to waste no time. I want to give you the big idea uh, right away. And the big idea we're going to see this morning in the section on the Sermon on the Mount is this, Jesus elevates obedience to the law beyond the letter and to the heart. Jesus elevates obedience to the law beyond the letter and to the heart. And maybe I could give you an illustration right away to help maybe flesh this out as we, as we dive into to Matthew 5 and Jesus teaching on the law this morning. Um, parents, how many, how many parents do we have uh, in the room, right? Awesome, great. So I want you to imagine with me just hypothetical scenario that you would ask your child to uh, clean his room, purely hypothetical, right? You ask your child to clean his room and uh, miraculously by the sovereign hand of God, the child obliges and says, sure, right? But his response is that of, as he's sitting on the couch, you ask to clean the room, he throws the TV remote down, says whatever, storms up the stairs, slams his bedroom door, spends a few minutes cleaning, muttering under his breath, then opens the door, yells back downstairs and says, Mom, are you happy now? I cleaned the room. I did what you asked. How many of you know that as parents, you, you wouldn't feel very fulfilled, right? You, you feel maybe even, dare I say, a little frustrated, with your kid's attitude and behavior. But I would ask this, why aren't you fulfilled? Why aren't you satisfied? Because your kid did what you asked him or her to do. The room got clean, and he did a really good job cleaning the room. Right? Why would you be frustrated at that? And, and you know why. It's because his attitude, his attitude wasn't good. His heart wasn't with you. Right, or we could say it, we could say it this way. Uh, your child followed the command you gave him to its letter. The job got done, but his heart motivation was wrong. You weren't honored in his attitude and his behavior and how he did it. The relationship, it, you didn't grow closer with your, with your child even though the command was fulfilled to a T, to the letter. What I'm trying to say is this. It's really about the heart, not so much the action. It's about the heart, and in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament, right, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament, often referred to as the law. And Jesus teaches the law, not just its letter, but to its heart. He addresses our hearts in this section on the Sermon on the Mount. And you need to understand that 
uh, Jesus' audience as he's preaching this sermon up on the mountainside. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to people of all uh, different backgrounds, different religions, Jews and Gentiles alike, we believe we're here. But I think in this section, he's really addressing the Jewish religious leaders. Many of them would have had the law memorized, and he's addressing an audience who had the law memorized down to its letter and were completely set apart, holy and good, and following the law to the letter, but they were missing the heart. They were saying, God told us not to murder. I have not physically killed someone, therefore I am following God's commandments, and he's pleased with me. Right, and Jesus addresses that and says, actually, I'm going to elevate the law. I'm going to fulfill the law and show you the heart behind the law. And I think we do this so often as well. Right, when we interact with the law of God, the commandments of God, we'll say, Look, God, I haven't physically cheated on my spouse. I'm righteous in that way. I'm following the letter. Right? And Jesus comes and says, yeah, in action, maybe you haven't committed adultery. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? And if you're anything like me, you've probably caught yourself asking this question. How close to the line can I get before it becomes sinful? Right? How close can I get to sin without God actually saying, yeah, that's a sinful action? Right? Jesus comes and says, that's the wrong question. Instead of asking how close to the line before it becomes sin can I get, Jesus comes and says, how close can you get to my Father? I want to address your heart and bring you to my Father. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses our hearts. And let me just say this at the outset. Um, Jesus is going to do some spiritual open heart surgery today. A few years ago, I had a family member uh, who had open heart surgery, and I went to visit him shortly after, and I'll never forget the sight I saw. I walked into the room, and he, he was sitting on the edge of his bed, facing the wall, hugging a pillow, rocking back and forth. Why? Because he just got out of open heart surgery. He was in pain. They cut him to the heart. Was it for his good? Absolutely. He needed the surgery. Really hurt, though. The recovery wasn't fun. Look, today, Jesus is, let me just say this, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. Okay, he, he is going to step on our toes. He's going to uh, throw aside the high theology that so many of us hide behind. He's going to throw aside the, the works that we try and do and present to God and say, God, am I good enough? Jesus is going to throw all that to the side and say, you cannot live up. Look at your heart. You might follow the law to its letter physically, but in your heart, you will be crushed by the weight of the goodness and holiness of God as revealed in the law. And so I want to invite you today, let Jesus heal you up. Let Jesus do the work that he has to do. I want to get out of the way this morning and I want to let Jesus, through his pure and good word, perform the surgery. I don't want to tamper with the message. I don't want to tamper with the mail this morning. Jesus wrote the message. Jesus wrote the letter. I'm here to deliver it. Get out of the way. Let Jesus do his work. So with that being said, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, Jesus addresses our hearts and he elevates the law in so doing. Matthew 5, verse 21. If you have your Bibles open there, otherwise it's on the screen behind me. 
says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Before you worship, before you come to church, Jesus says, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So Jesus states the letter of the law. What does he say? He says, you shall not murder. If you grew up in Sunday school, you're probably familiar with this. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. And many of us can say, check. Right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders say, check. Okay, I followed that. I'm good. Then Jesus says, but I say to you. What's he doing? He's elevating the law beyond its letter into the heart. He says this, if you're even angry with your brother, it's as if you've committed murder in your heart. And you might just ask, like, isn't that pretty extreme? Why, why can he say something like that? Why is Jesus talking in this way? And I think the wisdom principle here is that when you're angry with your brother, sister, friend, family member, uh, you're severing the relationship. Right? You're severing the relationship. It's as if they don't exist to you anymore because you've cut them off because you're angry with them and you're unforgiving toward them. And many of you can resonate with this, right? Uh, we're coming up on Thanksgiving and you're maybe dreading, you're hoping that that one set of uh, uh, brothers and sisters don't come to the meal because there's some tension, there's some strife in the family and when they show up, it's really, really uncomfortable and it's tough to talk to them and, right, family dynamics, because there's anger, there's bitterness in the family. Have you ever heard this? They're dead to me. Right? They're dead to me. I'm not interested in talking to them. I'm not interested in being around them. It's as if they're dead to me. Right? That's what Jesus is addressing here. He says, look, you might not have physically murdered someone, but what's going on in your heart? Right? Are you angry with your brother? Are you angry with your friend? You're severing the relationship. And so Jesus carries this out by way of application, and he says, if you're coming to church, if you're offering your gift, and you remember that you have some unforgiveness, some bitterness, some unresolved conflict with another friend or family member, he says, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled, then come and worship. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you really can't be right with the Father unless you're right with your brothers and sisters. He says you can't have this just unresolved bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and malice toward your brother and sister. Then kind of turn that off and say, but God, I'm here to worship you. He says, no, let's do some heart work. Right? Let's do some heart work. What's going on in the, the heart? First, go and be reconciled. First, go and be reconciled. So do not, do not murder. That's what the law says. Jesus elevates it. He brings the heart to it. And he says, I say to you, don't even be angry, hold grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness toward another brother or sister. Next, in verses 27 through 32, Jesus addresses um, our, our more intimate relationships. And he addresses our heart in so doing. Let's look at verse 27. You've heard that it was said. Again, he states, 
the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is addressing uh, lust of the, of the eyes. Right, here's the letter. You shall not commit adultery. Yeah, I, I've been faithful to my spouse physically, right? Or single men, right? You, you've, been, you've been faithful, you've been pure, you haven't slept around, but Jesus, what does he do? He addresses the heart. Jesus addresses the heart and he says, I tell you, I say unto you, if you've even looked at a, another woman, another man with lustful intent, it's as if you've committed this sexual sin, this adultery in your, in your heart. That's the letter and this is the heart behind it. It's what's going on in the heart. One of the great privileges um, of, of pastoring in the church is getting to walk with and counsel and, and pastor young young men. And so oftentimes when I'm sitting down to coffee with a young man and he's sharing his, his struggles with me about lust and trying to defeat, to defeat sexual sin and temptation in his life, I'll often just go right to Matthew 5. And I'll use the words of Jesus when he says, look, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Jesus is using emphatic, hyperbolic language here but the principle stands. Jesus is focusing on the eternal ramifications of sinfulness that's deep in our hearts. Right, so you say, these are pretty harsh words telling me what to do with my physical body. But what does Jesus say? He says, look, it's better that you lose your, your hand or your eye than your whole body be thrown into everlasting separation from my Father. There's an eternal aspect beyond this life. And so often we just give in to earthly pleasures, what looks really pleasant and pleasing at the time, what's satisfying to our flesh and to our desires in that moment without any regard for what's happening in eternity. What's this doing to my eternal spiritual relationship with my Father? And Jesus, being a loving God, he says, look, it's better that you cut sin off at the source right away, lest eternally you're separated from the Father. He addresses our hearts. Verses 31 and 32, Jesus addresses adultery and divorce. Read with me in verse 31. It was also said, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me give you some context. As Jesus is teaching the crowds, he's steeped in a culture of easy divorce and people looking for loopholes in the contract to get, out of, to get out of marriages they don't really want to be in. Sounds a lot like our culture today, right? There's not much difference here. 
right? It's people signing this marriage covenant, this contract, this agreement. But then Jesus is addressing people who, for no real good reason, they're just tired of the woman they're with. They're, they're just getting up and leaving. They're abandoning the wife. People finding loopholes. People treating uh, divorce and marriage as some just common thing. Right? It's just like a casual dating relationship to, to many people in, in Jesus' culture. And so that's the context in which Jesus is, is teaching this. Then he addresses adultery. He addresses divorce and, and remarriage. And just let me, let, me, let me give you three just biblical principles. I need to frame this for you. Give you three biblical principles of what marriage is according to God. First thing is this. Marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's design. On page two of the Bible, Genesis chapter two, God creates man, Adam, and says, it is not good that man, Adam, should be alone. So from Adam, from Adam, God creates woman, names her Eve, and says, you will be a helper fit for man. That word helper means one who brings completion and fulfillment to this union. And God instituted marriage, right? He says, when the two get married, they'll become one flesh. A, a man will leave his parents and become one with his spouse, that's the marriage covenant. It's God's idea. Second principle for biblical marriage is this. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. If you read in the Old Testament, you know that God entered into a covenant or promised relationship with his people Israel. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, you know that one of the two parties, God and Israel, were really, really unfaithful. Right, God was faithful to his covenant. God was faithful to keep his promises. Yet Israel was often likened to a bride who was adulterous and who was uh, forsaking their husband and going after these false gods and idols. But he instituted marriage. God instituted marriage and uses the same covenant language in the context of marriage. It's a covenant. It's designed to reflect God's relationship and love for us. Right, marriage is a covenant. And the third principle is this. God restores broken relationships. God restores broken relationships. Look with me at the text again, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, Everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality or marital unfaithfulness commits adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me just say this. Um, I know there are people here today say, yeah, I've, I've been divorced. I've initiated a, a divorce. I've ended a marriage covenant. And maybe for the first time today, you're realizing that maybe this wasn't on biblical grounds. Um, Jesus says, unless it's on the grounds of sexual immorality, um, it's like you're committing adultery. Maybe you're on second marriage, third marriage, fourth marriage, and you're like, I never thought I would be here. 
Jesus says, unless it's on the ground of sexual immorality and justifiable in that way, it's, a, it's adultery, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's sin. This is the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it and teach it. But let me say this. Jesus restores sinful people. Jesus restores broken relationships. In fact, I was having a conversation this weekend with someone that initiated divorce Looking at the Bible, he said, I know that I was wrong for initiating that divorce, but it's done. My friends have shunned me. It's over with, and now I don't know what to do. And I encouraged him with the gospel. I said, if you've placed your trust and faith in Jesus, your father looks at your divorce and said, yeah, that's, that's sinful, but you're hidden in my son Jesus who was without sin and took on your sin at Calvary. There's no more punishment left for you. There's no more wrath left over for you if you're in Christ. Jesus comes to heal. Jesus comes to restore. Jesus comes to fulfill the law perfectly in your place for you and for your relationships. Right, so when Jesus says, you make her commit adultery if you divorce on the grounds other than sexual immorality, the law stands, but Jesus fulfills that law for you, and he heals and he cleanses. And I want to say this, we love you, we care for you, we want to walk with you. We're not here looking down on you, wanting to cast judgment on you, we're, we're here wanting to bring you to the Father and help you be restored and healed up. That's Jesus' heart for his people. That's the Father heart of God for his people. With that being said, Jesus continues. In verse 33, Jesus addresses oaths. He says in verse 33, Again, you've heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, don't even take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Right? Jesus is addressing an audience that's uh, looking out in their uh, Swearing by things that are higher or greater than themselves, right? So literally, they'd be looking to the great city of Jerusalem. It's like the New York City of our modern day, right? And they're looking to it and saying, look, you can trust my word. In fact, I'll even go further than my word, and I'll say, I swear on this great city that I'll fulfill what I said I would do. And Jesus is saying, that, that's not really wise, right? The, the Old Testament law doesn't force you to make an oath, but it says if you make an oath... Make sure you perform it. Jesus says, let's just use wisdom here. Don't even, don't even make oaths. Don't even swear by things higher than yourself. Uh, why? I think what Jesus is getting at here is Jesus is, is trying to address our heart and say, look, let your word, let your character be trustworthy. Live in such a way 
that you don't have to justify and justify and justify that you're going to do what you said you would do. Live in such a way that your life would be trustworthy, your character would be trustworthy. You say, yeah, I, I trust you're going to do what you're going to do. Right? I trust you're, you're going to do that because of your character. That's what Jesus is calling us to as, as his followers, using wisdom in that way. We move on, verse 38, Jesus addresses retaliation or vengeance, right? Revenge, he says this, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The letter of the law says an eye for an eye. Right, this was put in place in the Old Testament so that people wouldn't punish wrongdoing more than it was uh, deserving of. Right, it was a justice system. And then Jesus establishes the heart and he says, actually I want you to, to turn the other cheek. When someone wrongs you, don't seek to plot your vengeance and your revenge on that person. Instead, say, I trust that my father is the one who will ultimately make right all that is wrong in the world, and I'm called to forgive, and I'm called to walk as a follower of Jesus. Here's what Jesus is not advocating for. He's not advocating for Christians to be doormats for the culture. Right, that doesn't mean people can just walk all over you, use and abuse your family and your, your, your work and your time. That's not what Jesus is advocating for. Right, men, I want to address you, men. Lead your families well. Fight for your family. Protect your family. Pray for your family. Uh, ladies, pray for your family. Walk with your family. Love and serve your children and, and raise them and protect them and care for them. That's God's design for, for human flourishing. It's not plotting and planning your revenge on the people who have wronged you. Jesus says, why don't you end the cycle of retribution, end the cycle of vengeance and revenge and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, and instead say, man, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. He laid his life down for me when I was hostile to God. So let's follow in that example, Jesus says. Let's lay down our lives to uh, serve and ultimately trust the nature and character of God to make right all that is wrong in the world. He says Christians are called to be patient, Christians are called to be giving. And lastly, Jesus addresses our relationships. Addresses how we are to love people. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, let me just say this, that last part, hate your enemy, that is not anywhere in the Old Testament. Okay, that's the Pharisees that kind of over time would have put that in there and that became the popular saying of the day. Nowhere does Jesus or nowhere does the Old Testament law say hate your enemy. Okay, it says love your neighbor. You shall love your, en uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, eh, that's wrong. Verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun uh, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, non-believers, don't they even do the same? If you greet only your brothers, only other Christians, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, those non-Jews, don't they do the same thing? He's elevating the heart of the law. He's elevating the, the heart of the law. The letter says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says the heart of that is actually loving all people. And then he proceeds to give us an example in verse 45. Right, the Father who created the good and the evil, by the way, the God, who, God who created the, the wicked, God who created the, the, those people, he says this, um, he lets the sun rise on the good and the wicked. Right, he lets the rain fall and bless the crops of the righteous and the unrighteous. So Jesus says, look to the example of my Father. He is kind and he's generous and he is good. This is called common grace. He's generous and kind to all his creation, to all people. In addition, we're created in the image of God. That's page one of your Bibles. That means every person, no matter your estimation of them, no matter what they've done to you, no matter they're to be treated with, equal dignity and value and worth because they're created in the image and the likeness of God. I think it was C.S. Lewis said something along these lines, and I paraphrase. He said, if you really understood what it meant that every person was made in the image of God, you would never look at the person sitting next to you on the bus in the same way. If you really understood what it means to be made in the valuable, beautiful image of God. We would love our neighbor, sure, but we'd, we'd be kind and generous and pray for those who persecute us and who are enemies of us. With that being said, Jesus stated the Old Testament law. This stands, this is what it says. But in so doing, he elevated the law beyond its letter and to the heart. And as we wrap up, I want you to focus on verse 48. Jesus says, in light of anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and relationships with other people, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This should crush us. The weight of the law should be crushing you in this moment. Because just when you thought that you were doing an okay job, living according to what God has prescribed for you to do, Jesus comes in and says, you're missing the point. It's about the heart. Look into your heart. Have you looked at a woman with lustful intent? You've broken the law. And when you break God's law, you, you break his heart as well. You've broken the Father's heart. The Father is not pleased with those who break his law. And so Jesus says, in light of all this, you have to be perfect as your heavenly Father was perfect. 
that's a crushing weight. And I'm totally convinced that that's the point. Because it's when you realize that I have unforgiveness with my brother in my heart. It's when you realize that I initiated this divorce that I know was wrong and there's nothing I can do about it. It's when you realize your character isn't even trustworthy because you're swearing by things higher than yourself so that people can just walk with you and, and trust you. It's when you realize you're plotting and planning vengeance, even in the littlest of things in your heart and you're harboring that unforgiveness. It's when you realize you're showing partiality to those who are like you, but you're rejecting and hating your enemies and those who are unlike you. It's when you realize that you can't be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect that you look to the one who was perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. That's Jesus. You might be saying, yeah, I've heard this gospel message 15 different times in the last few weeks. I want to tell you this. The gospel is good news wherever you are, whoever you are, however many times you've heard it. This is the essence of the gospel, that Jesus is for you what you cannot be for yourself. Jesus is the good and righteous, pleasing sacrifice unto God. Here's how I could summarize it. Jesus fulfilled and elevated the law for God and for you. I need you to catch this. Jesus fulfilled the law for God. He met his righteous demands perfectly. And for you, he did it in your place. So my plea with you is this. Would you let Jesus cut to your heart this morning? Would you let him do some heart work in your life? Would you get out from hiding behind your good works? Would you get out from hiding behind your own righteousness? Would you get out from hiding behind your pride? Would you let Jesus cut you to the heart? And would you say, I am a sinner. I've transgressed against my Father. That's when Jesus meets us and says, come to me, trust in me. You are far from perfect, but I lived the life you could not live. I died the death that you deserve to die. And I rose again to give you new life and right standing with the Father. That's the good news of Jesus addressing the heart as he brings, he brings life to the law, he brings heart to the law, and he fulfills it for you. Would you wrap up with me in prayer?